if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is underway now at nine minutes past 10 o'clock. That's not true. It's now 10 minutes after 10 o'clock as we just flip over. On this Tuesday, the second morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2020, thank you so much for being with us. I want to dive right into our next guest and conversation with Peter Kersenow. Peter is, of course, a Cleveland attorney. He hosts the Kersenow Report on AM 1420, The Answer. He is a best-selling author, and perhaps most importantly, he's a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. And his perspective on what is going on in this country now, after five consecutive nights of rioting in hundreds of American cities, perhaps is more important than ever. Peter, good to have you back. How are you, sir? Bob, I've been better. Um, you know, first, let me get out the uh, important stuff. 102 days until the first game of the season for the Cleveland Browns. But um, I tell you, for the first time that I've given this countdown, I, I am not really excited about it. I, I'm concerned. I'm anxious. I'm angry about the direction of our country. Um, I've been around for a long time, as many of your listeners have. This is my first rodeo. I remember the riots in the 60s. Um, we are in... And you've heard me say this before, and I thought we had maybe staved this event off, but I thought uh, a few years ago that we were at a tipping point in this country and that uh, it was important for us to have the right political leadership to uh, uh, prevent us from going over the edge. Um, What we've seen, um, and again, I don't want to be histrionic about this. I'm trying to present this in the most sober fashion possible. But uh, we have seen a profound collapse of leadership at every level. level. Uh, Our so-called leaders have been revealed to be, I'm going to try to put this as uh, carefully as possible, not up to the task, to put it mildly. Bob, I just received a a text on my phone that said that the curfew for Cleveland has been extended from 8 p.m. this evening until 6 a.m. tomorrow. It's a little thing, but... I bet you all of your listeners, when they heard the curfew was going to expire at 8 p.m., said, what the heck are they thinking? First of all, that we would need a curfew. That's one thing. But if the curfew expires at 8 p.m., hey, that's when the rioting begins. And it stayed that way for two days. It was inexplicable to me. So finally, somebody figured out, and these are the pros. Uh, By the way, I'm not blaming 
cops at all. The cops have got a difficult task. At, uh, I'm blaming the political leadership here. This is stunning on every level. You look at all the blue cities and blue states, and it's unfortunately not just confined to them, but predominantly it's those governors and mayors who are trying to play uh, woke executive and bow to political correctness who have exacerbated this problem, encouraged this problem. It, it is infuriating that in the United States of America, this is occurring. Why are we paying tax dollars to these individuals? We ask them to do one primary thing as governmental officials, and that is to secure persons and property against any kind of assault like this that we're, we've been experiencing. That's their primary task. That is why government is organized. It's not organized to make transgender bathroom assignments for kindergartners or any other uh, things that these guys are up to constantly. They keep forgetting what their core mission is. And the result is what we see right now, a complete collapse of order. I, it, uh, you know, I worked out, I can't even get to my office today. I'm usually in my office um, every single day, uh, every single day except Sunday. And I've been going there, you know, uh, I can't get downtown today. Um, when I go downtown, I expect that there is going to be order there. But what I saw was all the places that I patronize when I'm downtown have been smashed in. They had nothing to do with what was going on. They got smashed in. Uh, hardly, uh, it's extraordinary. People had to protect themselves. They keep telling us we don't need a second mimic because we have cops. A son of a gun. The only people who protected themselves were the Corbos. And, you know, guess what? They don't have to get engaged in the cleaning up that everybody else did. This is unforgivable. Now, I, again, I'm not blaming the cops. The cops have a difficult, difficult, difficult task. But every single one of your re listeners probably thought, as I, I, I haven't listened to you, Bob, but I guarantee you, you had the same thought that I did because we have a pretty good relationship, and that is the minute there was a lax in response, a lapse in response, and the response was not adequate, you knew that the rioters were going to get the upper hand. Again, this is not rocket science, and it just... I'm trying to maintain my composure because I'm that angry. Also, Bob, um, much of this, we've talked about the fact that what happened to um, George Floyd was inexcusable. It's indefensible. It was horrific. But what has happened, what is fueling everything we've been seeing for the last five, six, seven days is something that is false. That is not that George, what happened to George Floyd didn't happen, but it's the narrative. The, the act of what occurred to George Floyd didn't spark all these protests and riots. It's the cumulative effect of seeing repeatedly in the media, and that's fine, that you see, you know, cases where there's been police misconduct or abuse. That's fine. That's news. But the narrative that's been developed among media people, some of whom are doing it mendaciously, some of whom, most of whom are probably doing it out of abject ignorance. Remember, these are the folks who are supposed to inform us, yet they're ignorant of what the facts are. The narrative that's been developed and what's inflaming much of this, at least the rioting, although I think the rioting is an ex this is the, what happened of George Floyd is merely an excuse to engage in rioting. It's kind of like Edward Banfield unheavily city where he talked about rioting for fun and profit. Now, some of the rioting is, is motivated by anger, but most of it is 
some type of profit, not necessarily financial profit, very often ideological profit, or maybe even personal profit, some type of satisfaction. But it's based on a false narrative, because one or two or three instances wouldn't cause a nationwide breakdown as what we've been seeing. You and I, Bob, have discussed that false narrative that never seems to abate in the media. And the false narrative is that there is widespread police abuse that is disproportionately directed at blacks, that there are a growing number of hate crimes disproportionately directed at blacks and other minorities, and that is fundamentally false. That's not to say that there aren't hate crimes. That's not to say that there aren't instances of police misconduct. But the narrative that's been developed is that this is large and growing, and that could be further from the truth. In fact, we have the data. This data is not difficult to acquire, Bob. It is right there in black and white. Much of the data comes from the federal government. Much of the data that I have came from the Obama Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice. This data is collected every single year. The FBI has uniform crime statistics. They can look to that. If you don't believe the FBI, which a number of us are increasingly less likely to invest our trust in, but nonetheless, those are data collectors, not narratives. I mean, McCabe and those folks didn't put together this data. You had social scientists and others doing this. Nonetheless, there are university reports that come to the same conclusion. There are other studies that come to the same conclusion. And the conclusion is not fuzzy. It's not ambiguous. It's not nebulous. It is fundamentally clear. And every time I see these reporters casually talking about hate crimes or police abuse, growing number of cases of police abuse, these people should not be listened to. They do not know what they're talking about, and many of them do know what they're talking at least have an idea as to what they're talking about, and do not care. They're trying to perpetuate a false narrative for a variety of reasons that I can't fathom. Some of it's ideological. Mm-hmm. Others are they want to be woke and on the right side of history. But this is inflaming this. This is what's perpetuating this, and we need more people out there in the media saying, wait a minute. First of all, and I'm sorry for going all over the map here, Bob, but the fact of the matter is when I watch these television reports, I suspect I become almost as infuriated as many of your listeners because you have these reporters who seem unable to distinguish between protest and riot, between demonstration and looting. And many of the images I saw as they were reporting, were completely inconsistent with the reporter's uh, uh, narrative on the scene. I see people behind these reporters setting fires, breaking into buildings, and these reporters are saying, well, this is mostly peaceful. In what universe is that? And in what universe do mayors and governors seem to side with the people who are engaged in destruction of property? Not just mayors and governors, Pete, but also media, including local television stations. And I know you're you're busy in the morning. You can't listen to me all the time. So you didn't hear me this morning reporting on WKYC TV3. 
and they're online and on on their on their WKYC website and on their social media yesterday telling people where to go to donate money to bail out those who were arrested for committing all of these violent crimes and acts of vandalism in the city of Cleveland. They didn't ask for funds to help the business owners and their employees who are going to be out of work for a very 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 long time if they ever rebuild and are able to open their businesses again. They asked for donations or provided uh the place where you can go to make donations donations to bail out the people who don't have the money to get bailed out after being arrested for these crimes. I'm going to let you think on that for a moment, P, while we take our time out here at 1020, and we'll come right back on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, it's 1024. <clears throat> we got a pretty good segment here, about five and a half minutes for Pete to answer this question. Peter Kersenow is back with us again on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, we have been hearing for a very, very long time that this nation needs to have a, a serious conversation about race. We need to have a conversation. We need to change the culture. We need to change things. We're hearing it constantly. We're hearing it from even the peaceful. By the way... Your reference to, uh, of uh, peaceful protesters in the last segment, while the which is what the media and the Democratic uh, governors and others are calling them, rather than the rioters that are there, was very reminiscent to me. And I talked about this uh, also last hour of the Charlottesville situation. Did I say this to you already about Charlottesville? No. Okay, I apologize. It's starting to run together for me here. <clears throat> Charlottesville, of course, is when President Trump declared correctly that there were uh, neo-Nazis and white supremacists and Antifa there on both sides who should all be condemned totally. But there were also very fine people there on both sides, the people who were peaceful protesters who were there to express their opinions on whether or not statues should be removed. That's all it was. And there were. And he was told, no, 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 there were no peaceful protesters there. Everybody there that was that wanted to keep the statues uh, were, were white supremacists the neo-Nazis, and you called them very fine people. I find it really hilarious that now, uh, as we talk about all of the rioters there, they're quick to say, no, there's very fine people here, too. And they're right. There are. There are peaceful protesters in these crowds who want nothing to do with the violence. They're not looting, smashing, assaulting, or anything else. But they are being overridden by the violent people. And I find it really, really coincidental and quite hypocritical, quite frankly, that uh, those who uh, did that to the president now are saying, no, there's very fine people out there. So that's number one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's no doubt about that. The, the, this is, uh, again, I go back to the fact that I, I was concerned that we were at a tipping point a few years ago. I thought we had come back from the precipice after Trump got elected. Uh, we're, in, we're in a difficult spot right now. Um, you know, look, I, I don't claim I have a Ph.D. in history, but I read it constantly. I, I, I consume history voraciously. Uh, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see the trajectory here, to see parallels to other types of movements that haven't ended well. We have been fortunate in this country uh, that we have ended well after every uh, crisis uh, because of the way our government has been set up. The founding fathers were geniuses. Yes, those slaveholders were geniuses in the manner in which they constructed this greatest nation in the history of the world. And because of the way it's been constructed, it's better able to weather the types of crises that we're seeing that other regimes can't, other countries can't, other forms of government can't. Uh, but we are at a point now where maybe even our structure are, is not going to be recognizable a few years from now if we continue to go down this path. I don't want to be unnecessarily alarmist about this, but we better get back on track 
very quickly. What we have seen here is not just riots. What we've seen here is rebellion, insurrection, an utter lack of a rejection of authority, and perhaps most troubling is the failure of authority to, to establish the legitimate authority of government. And they've also done so incompetently, just incredibly incompetently. What are we paying our tax dollars for if not to protect person and property against this kind of assault? Bob, I said at the outset that much of this is being inflamed by the false narrative that's being perpetuated by the media, academia, and many institutions. Um... Yeah, we could talk about this for hours and hours, and your, your listeners have heard us talk about this before. Nonetheless, this false narrative that's being perpetuated is that cops are just gunning down minorities like crazy, or, mm-hmm. or that it's increasing. Any type of incident like that is unacceptable, but the perception is that this is happening on a daily basis and with increasing frequency, when in fact it's been declining precipitously and... When we talk about black suspects especially being uh, arrested or uh, uh, beaten or abused or shot by cops, the fact, here are the facts. And here's a problem, Bob. Um, The narrative has taken such a hold that it's become an article of faith so that if you introduce contrary facts, you're called a heretic. And the pushback is vehement. It's sometimes vicious. And that's why I think a lot of folks don't want to talk about the facts. They're afraid. They're afraid from getting the pushback because, my goodness, the entire country understands that there is this war on blacks by the cops, apparently. The opposite is true. Not only have instances of police abuse been declining and declining precipitously, but the fact is that if you are a white suspect, you are more likely to engage to be involved in police misconduct than a black suspect. And it's by a significant margin. One of the disabilities I've got right now, Bob, is that I am not in my office where I have hard copies of the data. Maybe we can have another discussion next week or some other time, and I know we've talked about this before, and I don't have it uploaded to my... Some of it is, but not all of it's uploaded to my computer. But some of it is by memory that I can remember distinctly. A cop is 18.5 times more likely to be shot by a black suspect than vice versa. Yesterday, I have that stat, Pete. <clears throat> Peter, I, let me jump in here because we got to get some news anyway. I have that stat because I rewatched the Heather McDonald presentation of those statistics. And, uh, and the official stat is police officers are 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed Absolutely by a police right. officer. And that is Heather a testified before number. the Civil Rights Commission on that. Yeah, I know you did. You have all these numbers. And, uh, and, and it just so happened this morning before I came on, I was re-watching that. But that's an extraordinarily important point because what we are being told is every day that what happened to George Floyd is what happens all the time, that unarmed black males are being killed by police officers. So it's not twice as many cops killed by, by, by uh, um, black males. It's not three times as many. It's not five times as many. It's 18 and a half times more likely uh, that a cop is going to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is going to be killed by a cop. But don't tell that to anybody walking the streets of protest today. Peter, stay there. We'll come right back. I've got a lot more to get your thoughts on on AM 1420.
All right. It is uh, 1036. I've got one more segment with uh, Peter Kirsten now. Peter, as uh, a man of color, um, this is this is perfect for you. This is right in your wheelhouse. We keep hearing, and this is what I started to say the last segment when I got sidetracked by the Charlottesville analogy. But we keep hearing about this national conversation that needs to happen. We all need to sit down. President Trump and, and governors and mayors and white leaders need to sit down with black leaders. And we all need to de- deal with the systemic injustice, the social injustice, the racial injustice in this country. And what I would like to know, Pete, is if said meeting happened, big conference room, President Trump, government leaders all around the table, black leaders all around the table, uh, maybe different ethnicities can have representation all around the table, too. What exactly would they want? What exactly would that look like? What exactly are they asking for people to do? And I'm going to leave that as open-ended as possible. Not people, but what is government to do to create a place where one guy, one police officer, doesn't do something terribly bad Without it being, you know, in, without it indicting all police officers or all white people, uh, and thus uh, this declaration that America is somehow a systemically racist country. If this national conversation, this let's sit down and call, make a call to action, and not only a call to action, implement a plan of action to ending race. You just heard it in the news, right? That 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 city councils are passing uh, uh, resolutions to declare racism a public health crisis. So if they all got together in one room, Pete, and sought to, quote, end racism or end racial injustice, what would that look like? Yeah, um, we don't have enough time to discuss that in full, except that I would note we've been having this national conversation over and over and over and over again, except it's not a conversation. It's a harangue. The left harangues from their perspective using all of these false statistics that I mentioned and a false narrative, and then they tell us, the rest of us, to submit to their harangue, all based on false premises. Now, we can have a conversation we have. We had a national conversation under Bill Clinton. We had a national conversation under Barack Obama. We have all these conversations, but they never resolve anything because they're not conversations. They're one-way dictates and directives, and they are based on false premises. I don't want to have a national conversation. I would like to have an honest conversation. That is a difficult conversation to have because I said some of the narrative has become an article of faith so that if you challenge it, you get read out of polite society. You could lose your job. You are definitely out of the room. You're not invited to the conversation in the first instance. I guarantee you, Bob, someone like me would never get invited to that. Anybody who dares speak the truth. Here's the truth. For a long time, this country had significant, invidious problems with respect to discrimination. We had slavery, but we're the only country that fought a war where hundreds of thousands died to get rid of it. Then we had Jim Crow. We had egregious discrimination. Guess what? We had a 1964 Civil Rights Act. Did that solve everything? No, it didn't. We had all kinds of other acts, the Voting Rights Act, the Fair Housing Act. It goes on and on and on and on. If I were going to have a conversation, the first thing I would say is everyone has to guarantee that what we're going to talk about here is the truth and not supposition. 
truth and not the false history that unfortunately our academy and our media has been perpetuating. But does truth exist, Peter? And what I mean yes, by that does. is what 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 I mean by that is we hear this phrase that has become all the rage in modern uh uh, uh conversation, and that is speaking I'm speaking my truth. I'm speaking my truth. This is my truth. We hear that all the time. As if my experience makes this true in my mind and in my eyes and it might be different from your experience which may make your truth different so is there a such a thing can we all agree anymore that there is a thing called truth pete bob you hit upon another one of the big problems we've had a pet peeve of mine and that is the subjectivity the relativity that has creeped into our academies you go to everywhere from kindergarten through college and grad school, and you've got this relativism where it's somebody else's truth or it's my truth, as you said. No, there is objective truth. For example, two plus two or four. I used to joke when I used to have debates about affirmative action that, what, is there a black speed of light? But now we have STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math courses, where they're actually saying that Math is racist. We have gotten, we're in Looney Tunes territory right now, Bob. We can't have a credible conversation when we can't agree upon facts, objective facts. But we can at least insist upon it, start it, and stop yielding to the relativism and the lies that we're getting. The lies are being perpetuated and have been for 40 years from much of our academy, from our media and our culture. You cannot escape movies or television without the woke ideology being perpetuated upon you constantly. Truth is in short supply. Truth is uncomfortable for a lot of people. On both sides of the divide, but right now, the truth is being massacred by the left. And by the left, I mean virtually every institution now, because the left has almost accomplished the long march through the institutions that they had sought. We are in, as I said, I am afraid we are at a tipping point here, and we've got to, we better very quickly get our hands around this, otherwise it spirals out of control. Even the United States of America is not impervious to this. Um, So going back to the national conversation, I'd say, look, we've got to agree upon certain facts, okay? If you can't agree upon certain facts, there's no point to having a conversation because we're talking past one another. The left very often doesn't want to acknowledge the facts because it doesn't conform with their narrative. Remember what much of this is about, not all of it. Right, let me back up for a second and say a lot of people, um, I give a pass to to some extent because they believe the narrative because they don't know any better. They've been told by people that they trust. But there's a lot of people who know better. Those are the people who are the opinion makers. They know better or should know better, and they shouldn't be given a pass for perpetuating falsehoods that are leading to the conflagrations that we're seeing, the millions of dollars in damages, all those property owners that you see along East 4th Street and Euclid and even other places that now, through no fault of their own, they have lost money, maybe lost their livelihoods. This is unforgivable, but the narrative, again, going back to the narrative, it's yeah. important to, to, to establish that what all of this is based upon is false. If you go back in history, sure, but they're not, they're not basing this on history. They're basing it on but, the but, false but, narrative. But, I want to get away from history for now. a moment, if I may. Yeah, I, I, only because you know, of our time factor here. I want to focus, let's stipulate 
that we all agree what the truth is. Let's stipulate that everybody is going to tell the truth. Okay, now let's let's just go forward from here and say this conversation is happening. Happening. Nobody's leaving this room until we solve racism in America. Nobody is leaving this room until we solve social injustice in America, particularly by race. Okay, and we all agree that we're going to tell the truth, and we're all agree, we all agree on what truth is. What do they want? What is the result of when they leave that room? What would it look like? Uh, unfortunately, for many of the leaders, they don't want equality. They want superiority. They want to be in charge. They want to dictate terms. They don't care about about non-discrimination and equality. I hate to. I'm, I'm not talking about everybody, but I'm talking about many of the leaders. I have seen this too often, and it's disturbing. This is a matter of power acquisition at the very top that's driving a lot of this. Now, all the folks you see just kind of mindlessly running around and looting, uh, they're not even thinking and focused about this stuff. But the people who have the ability to drive how we react to this, many of them are invested in the acquisition of power. Give you an example. This is just a minor one that everybody knows. And that is, as I've said before, the Democratic Party cannot win any national election unless it gets 92% of the black vote and an overwhelming black turnout. It can't simply be 92% of a mediocre black turnout. It's imperative. It is imperative for the Democratic Party to stoke this false narrative. They do it every election cycle. Now they've transcended mere election cycles, and they do it constantly. And their media adjunct, which is their propaganda arm, continues along with this. And their resources, their, their research arm, which is the acad- uh, academy, they perpetuate it also. We, we are in a desperate strait when we can't even get the facts out to the majority of people. People are losing lives. People, and you know who's losing lives? The very folks that the woke progressives think they're acting on behalf of. Those are the people who are losing lives and livelihoods. Um, we're not having an honest conversation. I am, unfortunately, I have to say, I'm not very confident we will have an honest conversation in the very near future because of the entrenched narrative. But it's important for all of us to try very nicely, okay, to get the facts out as often as possible. Well, Pete, here's uh, here's what I want to share with you next. Um, and I think you're right when you say that there is not really among many of these quote-unquote leaders a quest for equality. It is a quest for superiority. The Black Lives Leader uh, organizers, uh, or Black Lives Matter, excuse me, Black Lives Matter leaders is what I'm trying to say, uh, and others, um, they, they want to bring white America to its knees. Um, they want them to feel the subjugation that their ancestors felt. I will not say that they feel because it doesn't exist today. Uh, we are an equal justice nation. We are a nation that is not um, uh, systemically racist. There's a reason why people who are brown and black and other hues uh, uh, are coming to this country and risking their lives by the millions to get here. And that's because they know this is the greatest place on earth for people of color to to survive and thrive and to excel and to have wonderful lives. But they don't. They want white people to feel the subjugation that their ancestors feel. And this is a tweet, a Twitter video that is going around right now that was captured on the streets. Uh, I don't know which street, which which uh, city this was happening where the riots and protests were going on. 
But, Pete, I want you to listen to this. It's 60 seconds long, and I want you to respond. And I want you to picture uh, in your head the way I want everybody else to. This is a thin, youngish, probably early 20s woman wearing a white woman wearing a mask. You know, the, 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 the COVID-19 fear mask. So she's wearing this mask. She walks down some urban street. Don't know exactly where it is, but this is what happens. Hey, excuse me. I work for Black Lives Matter. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I work for Black Lives Matter. I'm sorry that I scared you. But since I work for that company, my CEO has told me to come out today and to bring you on your knees because you have white privilege. So if they see that a white person is getting on their knees, that shows solidarity for the situation. The situation. And could you just please... Pause here. She has gotten onto both of her knees before this man. Apologize for, you know, for your white privilege. Just apologize. I am. I'm trying to think of the right words to say because that's a, that's a big thing to say. It's, it's big. It comes from... It's, so, it's large in this country. I'm incredibly, incredibly sorry about You know, with this country, we have that President Donald Duck, that clown in office. You know, he's brought a lot of bigotry, and you're not a part of it, right? No, and so, you know, just okay. You have a great day, Pete. I was shaking with fury when I first saw that. Um, that happened, and I guarantee you, this woman was terrified to not do what she was told to do. She did what she was was told to do. She apologized for the color of her skin. She apologized for privilege that she apparently has that maybe she doesn't even realize. And she uh, expressed, quote-unquote, solidarity with Black Lives Matter because of this situation. And I'll just uh, get your reaction. Uh, it's sick, and that's a mild description of what you just played. Uh, it's not too much of an exaggeration to note how closely this parallels what happened through 1917 to approximately 1991 in the old Soviet Union, where you had to confess your crimes, real or imagined, mainly imagined, to get your mind right. It also occurred in Maoist China and continues to occur today. Someone getting on their knees and confessing crimes to which, heck, they didn't commit, um, this amorphous crime that is a group crime. It is similar in some respects to other totalitarian regimes. Here, it's not being done by a regime. It's being done by the cultural dominance of these woke institutions, movements, media, etc., this is very dangerous, and I would note, Bob, you probably saw, and, and I, will, I will defer to those who have better tactical understanding of this than I do, meaning cops, but I saw on two occasions in the last two days where cops knelt in front of the protesters, Yes, presumably out of solidarity, and I understand there's an explanation that says we did it so that we could express solidarity, maybe diffuse a situation, let them know we didn't agree with what happened with or countenance what happened to George Floyd. But that act by itself emboldens the bad actors. It's an act of submission. You do not do that because there's a larger imperative at play than simply in this particular temporary moment expressing some type of sympathy that is not your place let someone else do that again i defer 
to the cops who make these judgments. I'm not there. I'm not facing, you know, the, the fireball, whatever they're throwing. But nonetheless, I consider that a profound mistake in my judgment. But what you just played, Bob, can never happen in America. That's why millions fled totalitarian regimes to come here. I've said this before. But isn't that exactly what you were talking about, Pete, when you said they do not want equality in many of these people? They want superiority. They want people who are, they want people who have been the majority to feel, uh, and to act and to live as minorities with no power or rights. And that is the, uh, that is the sickening part of all of that. Pete, I've got about uh, three or four minutes left on the flip side. Stay with me, and we'll wrap it up with you on AM 1420. All right, 1056. I've got about three and a half minutes left for Peter Kirsten. Now, Pete, no disrespect at all, um, but I, when I asked you what it would look like, you talked about all of the reasons we could not exit that room with an answer. With a way to make, because right at the end of the day, you cannot control people's feelings. You cannot control individual, no government can control the feelings, the inherent biases or prejudices or bigotry or whatever that they may hold in their hearts, no matter what kinds of rules that you enact, what laws that you pass. There is no way for a nation to force people to think a certain way short of 1984 style re-education, uh, in room 101. That's the bottom line. And, and so what they, what they're asking the government to do here is just totally impossible to change the minds of human beings who were born again and, and to develop through their own experiences, their own beliefs and feelings on things. Well, I, I, you're, you're right. I agree with you entirely about this. And I'm not just agreeing with you to agree with you. You, you know that, Bob. We're always, we seem to be on the same page most of the time, although on occasion we have disagreements. But the, the bottom line here is we are at an inflection point society that is extraordinarily important. I know many of your listeners because they come to my, my various talks, and uh, I get emails from them, and they're just the, the greatest people imaginable, as are most Americans. That's what's so troubling about this, Bob. I think all of us intuitively know, because we're around, we talk to people, that most people are of goodwill, but at the same time, a lot of people, because they're of goodwill, absorb the available information and think, my goodness, Maybe I'm a racist, or maybe the country is racist, when this is the least racist country on the face of the earth, and the narrative or the the facts I gave you are inflaming things unnecessarily. Keep in mind, everybody, that the same establishment, the same media that brought you the biggest hoax of all time, the Russia collusion hoax, nothing to it, yet they reported it uncritically for two years and got two Pulitzer Prizes for that complete and utter lie, the same media that won't cover the greatest American political scandal at all, the same media that tells you so many falsehoods is the same media that's reporting upon what's happening right now. I, you know, I almost sound like a conspiracy theorist when I say these. I'm reluctant to say it, but those are the facts, and it's doing profound damage to the United States of America. Americans want to work together. Americans are not inherently racist, but we have a failed leadership class, not just political leadership, but in almost every one of our institutions, because for 30, 40, 50 years, we've had this march through the institutions of moral relativism, and we're starting to forget what's important and what's true. Moral relativism is exactly correct. Peter Kersenow, I could not thank you more. I uh, could not be more appreciative, rather. I probably could say thanks more often. Uh, but really do appreciate you coming on, especially spending the entire hour. Your perspective is a unique one, obviously. And I really appreciate that, sir. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bob. 
Talk to you next week. It's uh, coming up on Mike Gallagher time right here on AM 1420, The Answer. So stay here. you got Dennis Prager following. Uh, make sure you're here for Dr. G through Seculo. And make sure you listen to Larry Elder, whose perspective is also extraordinarily important. Be well, be safe, be free. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence.